0: Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Oh, I wish I hadn't picked a name that's got 2 p-ps in it, but I did. Poetry Podcast. This week, I want to talk about the poet Sasha Dogdale. Now, Sasha Dogdale is a translator of Russian texts. That is one of her jobs. And um, I was fascinated to read in a recent interview that she started teaching herself Russian when she was 10. That is the kind of woman we're dealing with. Remarkable. And I want to concentrate on a collection of Sasha Dogdale's from 2017 called Joy. And it's one of those poetry collections where one poem dominates, and that is the title poem, Joy which won the Forward Prize for Best Single Poem in 2017. That's a biggie of a poetry prize. And it is of that ever more popular genre in modern literature that I think you could possibly put under the heading, yes, but what about Mother Christmas? And it concentrates on the wife, uh, the widow, I suppose, of William Blake, the famous poet and artist who most of you will have heard of and who we will definitely cover eventually in this poetry podcast. It takes the form of a sort of one-woman play and it's long. And I'm going to be up front with you. This is not the poem I'm focusing on today. There is another poem in the book that I want to look at it sounds a bit contrary of me to not go for the big award-winning poem at the front, but it is big, and I'd rather you went away and read it yourself and soaked it up. It's 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 great, and it's all in the voice of Catherine Blake, Mrs. Blake, in this instance, and uh, not in this instance, Mrs. Blake, Mrs. Blake. I don't know why I added. In this instance, that's the sort of thing a poet wouldn't have done because of their fabulous economy of phrase. Get on with it, Frank. I shall. I'm going to read you a bit from Joy because I think it would be particularly contrarian not to um, read a bit at all. And it is great. So this is the bit where Catherine talks about all the wars that went on during her marriage with... William Blake. And uh, it's a strange time, I guess, to be living with some visionary poet and artist when there's all this darkness and death going on in the rest of the world. I'll just read you a short bit, but it's great. Have I said it's great before? Okay. Yet all about us, war drifted from year to year, Like the seeds of weeds in autumn. And the looms made sails for warships. And the furnaces cast cannonballs. So all that stuff, people preparing, all that industry that could be for positive good things used to make war items. It reminds me of that Elvis Costello track, Shipbuilding. Check it out. Men train their horses to run towards death. All around us in schools and churches and meeting halls, corpses march their filthy regular steps. I think that's a reference to troops in training before going to war, so sort of soon-to-be corpses. And men spoke about it, and the words themselves in pain The words, thirsty for new life. The words wanted mercy. So the words hate being associated with war. That's not what they're for. They're for beautiful, poetic expressions or practical, helpful expressions, not for talking of death and destruction. So they wanted mercy. Where are they going to find it? And then we get some places that William Blake... Uh, lived and in the midst of all this a clearing in lambeth and south Moulton street and fountain court and a torrent of such wrathful innocence pours forth such light that violence staggered violence fell back So she's talking about this light generated by William Blake. I'm going to read that bit again because I love the idea of wrathful innocence. And a torrent of such wrathful innocence pours forth, such light that violence staggered, violence fell back. A spider, a worm, a beetle could approach it, but violence could not. She's talking about this light which Blake generated. An ant could find his children by it, but violence could not. And I tended that light, and he was the light. Stunning stuff. And I know you think, oh, why aren't we doing this? I, it's long, and I think you need to go and wallow in it. What I'm going to do is to move forward to a poem later in the collection called Valentines. And what can I tell you about it before I read some? It's a sonnet. We've covered lots of sonnets. So you know it's 14 lines. Sonnets are often um, our old friend iambic pentameter, which I won't bother to define now because this one isn't in it. Well, at least one or two of the lines are, but it's, uh, it's certainly not central to the form. And this The rhymes happen in couplets throughout. So two rhymes, two rhymes, two rhymes, two rhymes. Sometimes there are slant rhymes, which um, we have discussed before, half rhymes. Rhymes that just jar a little because they feel like rhymes, but they don't quite make it. That is how this is structured. And there's a good deal of enjambment. I'm going to cut down on the technical terms in a minute. Enjambment when a sentence runs across the end of the line off and across the end of the next line and the next line so some of the rhymes get a bit lost in the reading but you feel them they are in there but you don't hit them with a hammer every time okay I'm going to read you the first five lines of this which may sound odd because I would say and we have discussed this before A sonnet always splits into sections. Always is a big word in poetry. I'm going to change it for often. So sometimes you get four, 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 two. Sometimes eight, six. Sometimes six, eight. I'm talking about how the 14 lines are split as far as meaning is concerned. For me, I would say this was an eight, six kind of a poem. So I'm going to look at the first five and then the next three, And then we'll consider the twist in the middle. If it comes, wait and see. I don't quite say it anymore. Now the kids are teens and there are sudden wars. Threads of conversation that no longer want to pass through the needle's eye of how we recast ourselves in new politics, new sadnesses, newspapers. Okay. I don't quite say it anymore. I think because this poem is called Valentine's, we're automatically thinking I love you is the thing that you don't say anymore. Certainly anyone um, listening to this who's been in a relationship of more than about six weeks. I've been in a relationship for 23 years. So we do say I love you. But um, it's, uh, it comes on special occasions and is often floodlit for effect. But it's there. I don't quite say it anymore. A suggestion that it's sort of said, but I can't quite come out and say the big three words. I don't quite say it anymore. Now the kids are teens and there are sudden wars. Threads and there ends the second line. So the actual rhyme on the first two lines, that the first couplet, is kids and threads. And that was... Uh, whoops, my bookmark fell out. That could cause problems later. We'll see. Kids and threads is obviously a slant rhyme. It doesn't quite work, and it just unsettles you a bit. I don't quite say it anymore now that kids are teens and there are sudden wars... Now, are the wars with the kids or are the wars with the couple? We'll see. Threads of conversations that no longer want to pass through the needle's eye of how we recast. And you see that's another slant rhyme, pass and recast. We're talking about problems in a relationship now, it seems to me. Trouble, arguments. And so it is apt that the rhymes don't quite work, that the rhymes suggest discord. It is in the words of the old Gilbert O'Sullivan song, A World Where Nothing Rhymed. Rhyme suggests order and harmony, and she's talking about a relationship where that doesn't always exist and expressing it with slant rhyme, with... An unsettling not-quite-right rhyme. So, now the kids are teens and there are sudden wars, and we all know that feeling when there's sudden wars in a relationship. Threads of conversations that no longer want to pass through the needle's eye of how we recast ourselves in new politics, new sadnesses, newspapers. That is a difficult section to get your head around. And when I first read this poem, I read that. I'm not exaggerating 20 times and thought, I'm I'm struggling with this. And I could have gone off and picked another poem from the collection to talk to you about. There are plenty to choose from. But I really like this one and I thought I've got to work this out. And I felt that I myself was trying to get that thread through the eye of the needle. And um, I don't know if I quite made it, but I'll tell you what where I arrived at in a moment. So I think these threads of conversations, I like the use of the word threads because it can mean a literal thread because we're talking about passing through a needle's eye in a mini i think it definitely operates on that level of meaning it can also mean the thread the meaning of a uh, of a conversation as in you know i think i've lost my thread that and also threads as Uh, this is 2017 as I said this poem so threads as in on emails and the like when you get a continuing meandering response based conversation going on over a long period of time I'm gonna read it again and we're gonna get there I don't quite say it anymore I think she means I love you I don't know now the kids are teens, so we've been together a long time. And you know we, we, are, we have the scope to be individuals. The kids may even have moved away. My partner and I always describe ourselves in the words of the poet Rilke, as guardians of each other's solitude. And I think when the kids have gone away, you have more scope to be individuals again discuss okay threads of conversation that no longer want to pass through the needles eye so there's a stubbornness now no longer want to things that used to pass things that used to go on questions and on challenge don't seem to be able to be doing that anymore through the needles eye of how we recast ourselves so We've changed. We've recast. I think recast as in a theatrical term. We've recast who we were with different people. We've changed. So that person, uh, I I remember in Neighbours, there were three different Lucies, and it was never commented on. You just, one actress walked out the door and a different one walked in. And it's a bit like that in a relationship. We do get recast. Am I the same person I was 23 years ago when my relationship began? Probably not. No, I've been recast as an old grumpy guy. And also recast, I think, as in when metal is melted down and cast in another shape. The summary of all this is we've changed. We used to let things go we used to have a smoother, freer-flowing relationship. But now we those threads, we don't want to let them pass through the eye of the needle because we are different. We've changed. And it's how we recast ourselves in new politics, new sadnesses, newspapers. And it's, of course, a very poetic technique to lead us into that last one. We think it's going to be new and then a gap, and then another word, and we, we go into newspapers, just the one word, you know what I mean, it's the old comedy rule of three, new politics, new sadnesses, and then the twist, newspapers. So we recast ourselves in new politics. What does that mean? Well, we've, the world has changed. It's affected all of us. And we we probably see our role in a relationship differently. We probably look back at the relationship through this new political eye and think, was that right? Was that fair? Should I have let myself be used in that way? Should I have put up with this, etc., cetera, et cetera? So that's one element of recasting, which has made things a bit rockier and more difficult. Maybe the new politics is uh, a reference to their own personal politics. You know, the way uh, we are, well, we supposedly get less liberal as we get older, more narrow-minded, less idealistic. Okay, new sadnesses. We've all got scar tissue from... Bereavements and disappointments and all those rockinesses that go through life newspapers, I think means just the way the world is has changed us as well. People talk about how they don 't watch the news because it really drags them down and and all that, and people get very, very upset about climate change, etc Samuel Johnson who you know is a hero of mine, an 18th century writer. I may have quoted this before, but he said that uh, no man, forgive me that he, he didn't use a broader gender category, but he said no man had an hour's less sleep or ate an ounce less beef because of public affairs. So he felt that we were only really affected by our personal worries, tragedies, um how's the kids getting on at school? What's that lump on my neck? And will those rough boys be waiting by the news agents tonight? Those kind of very domestic worries. So we've changed, and the new politics a reassessing of who we are has changed us and our sufferings, sadnesses have changed us. And just the world, the way the world is, has changed us. Now that newspapers, the rhyme, I went to newspapers for meaning, but the rhyme is with the next line. So I'm going to repeat that again. You'll see what I mean. I'm just going to read the next three lines, but I'm going to add that newspapers line to make it two couplets. I hope you're following this. I love you and I don't want you to leave me. That's not the next line. That was me talking to you directly. Okay. Uh, So we recast ourselves in new politics, new sadnesses, newspapers, irritability, like the substance left by vapours. You get the rhyme now. That have long departed the alembics long and taste with a quetches bitter. Tongue. Now, some of you may be thinking, alembic and quetch, that's it, I'm out of here, don't go. Poets, you must have learned if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, they don't like to leave any tools on you, so they're constantly bringing in words that you don't know very well, that they've probably found somewhere or, or read in a book or even in a dictionary and thought, yes, I'm definitely using this no language based stone is left unturned, certainly not deliberately. So irritability like the substance left by vapors. Now you will have noticed that that is not a slant rhyme. It is the first proper rhyme in the poem. Kids and threads pass and recast were both near misses, but newspapers and vapors is on the nose, as is long and tongue in the next couplet. So what's happened? We're starting off with a bit of that rage that lives in everybody who's been in a long-term relationship, that anger that you can always tune into if you need to, and often tune into during an argument. I used to do a stand-up routine about if anyone watched my partner and I arguing, it would be like watching a, a, a rock band or similar doing a gig because we start with some new stuff and then we start rolling out our greatest hits and I'm saying things like and here's a grudge you may recall from 2005 and this is the point here I think that first section with all that misrime all that discord was that rage and now it's just, just starting to calm a little I wonder if I'll ever do one of these podcasts where there isn't a siren in the background. I suppose if I move to the country. But if I move to the country, I'll be too drunk to actually operate the equipment. Okay. Irritability like the substance left by vapours that have long departed the Alembics long. Now you've got that little poetry moment of long, L-O-N-G, and long L-U-N-G poets just like if the if there's a little little sparkle on the way they'll usually polish it up just like in that very first couplet anymore and sudden war just a bit of internal rhyme let, why let that go that new politics new sadnesses newspapers another little fabulous bit of wordplay okay irritability and we all know about this and we know how dangerous it is to a relationship like the substance left by vapors that have long departed the alembics long now an alembic a-l-e-m-b-i-c is a, a distilling apparatus is what i would call it it's like a it's two glass cylinders and the stuff passes, I don't know how it works, but you use it for distilling alcohol, mainly. And um, what she says, irritability like the substance left by the vapours that have long departed the Alembics long, long because it's got a sort of a, it breathes, I suppose, there's rubber bits, and taste with a quetche's bitter tongue. A quetch is a plum. Which they distill to make brandy. Yes, I have had to look this up since I read the poem. My most startling and in many ways delightful discovery is there's such a thing as uh, an alembic emoji with a little, well, obviously, a little image of um, this distilling apparatus. But they, um, she's talking about when one distills this brandy made from these slightly sour plums it leaves behind in the alembic a substance the sort of silt left from the process and it tastes with quetches bitter tongue so it leaves behind a bitterness it stays there and that's what happens with arguments isn't it they go away the vapour passes but it leaves behind the substance and after a bit you get a build up of that substance and it's quite corrosive and bitter acid and the use of the word long l-u-n-g suggests I think the danger and damage that this substance and thus irritability, because they're compared, does. You don't want a substance left in your lungs and you don't want irritability left in your relationship. I'm going to do the last six in a lump. Don't panic because we're going to sort them out. But I. So far, if you're still with me, you will have realised this is a brilliant sonnet and a brilliant study of what relationships are like as i said i thought that move into actual rhyme suggested a sort of a softening less disharmony there's a nice quote that i read from um, sasha dogdale i'm not going to quote it word for word but basically she says rhyme she likes to use rhyme because it can take you to a different place a sort of enforced departure and I think well I'm pretty confident what she means is the word that you might have gone for you can't have because it doesn't rhyme so you have to start thinking around and then the poem starts to slightly operate on its own terms So I can't have that word. What other word that rhymes would work? And then the meaning of the poem starts to slightly shift because you can't have the word you want. You're going for one that's nearby, but it isn't quite the same meaning. So the poem, dare I say, starts to somewhat uh, write itself. I wonder if you can hear that rain on my window. I like lots of extraneous special effects on these and uh, they are all supplied by... God and the local emergency services. The hours and days mass themselves around and harden like the filthy frozen ground on railway embankments on a mid-February day. And that is in truth what I never quite say. Those trashed slopes are home to the foxglove An ancient restorer of the heart's beat, my love. You must be able to hear that rain. I wish I was doing uh, King Lear this week. How was it? Blow winds and crack your cheeks. Anyway, so, this is the last six lines, and I think there is more softening now. It never quite softens, this poem. The, The speaker's attitude to the relationship never becomes mellow i would say but it moves that way it's someone looking for that love the hours and days mass themselves around so all the time we spend together all the time we have spent together masses itself around it's become layered over the years It it piles up, it thickens all those hours, all those days. The hours and days mass themselves around and harden like the filthy frozen ground on railway embankments on a mid-February day. So the years, the arguments, they build up and build up just like that substance left in the Alembic. And they harden, we get harder, life gets harder, the relationship gets harder. Like the filthy frozen ground on railway embankments on a mid-February day. And obviously that frozen ground um, railway embankments is filthy because of its oil and grime and its industrialness a long, long build-up of activity, just like in the relationship. Frozen ground on railway embankments on a mid-February day. Well, of course, you want it to be around that time if we're going to talk about frozen ground. But then we remember the title of the poem, Valentine's. And so um, that, of course, is a mid-February day, the 14th, to be precise. So she's talking... The relationship really starts to sound quite bad. I mean, listen to this. This is never, it's called Valentine's, but this is never going to work on a greetings card, is it? The hours and days mass themselves around and harden like the filthy frozen ground on railway embankments on a mid-February day. Love, Martin. That's not ever going to work. Okay, so it sounds really really hard this relationship but the next bit and that is in truth what i never quite say and do you remember right at the beginning it, it starts i don't quite say it anymore and i thought it might be i love you and that is in truth And we're really getting to truth. And this poem has been about truth. It has not dressed up relationships. And this particular relationship which the speaker is in, it has not made that look sweet or lovely. It's been brutally truthful about it. And that is, in truth, what I never quite say. So we're going to get it now. It's going to end, I love you. Is it? Last two lines, which are virtually always important in a sonnet and often... Or the twist in the tail, Those trashed slopes, speaking of the filthy frozen ground on railway embankments, but also, I think, our battered selves who have gone through this relationship. Those trashed slopes are home to the foxglove, an ancient restorer of the heart's beat, my love. Now, the foxglove, you may know, is also called digitalis which is a heart conditions drug for heart problems and as it says those trash slopes so our battered selves and literally the filthy railway embankments are home to the foxglove so they it grows the foxglove amid that filth amid amidst that oil amidst those layers and years of pain and rage those trash slopes are home to the foxglove an ancient restorer of the heart's beat so it mends hearts the foxglove and the implication is obvious an ancient restorer of the heart's beat comma my love and my love of course rhymes with foxglove She doesn't quite say, I love you, but she calls the addressee, the receiver of this twisted and battered valentine, my love. So the last word of the poem is love. The last phrase, my love. And I don't think it's like me love. I don't think it's chirpy or colloquial. I think it's deeper than that. The speaker cannot say, I love you, still quite say it, but almost, almost, my love at the end. It's got a Valentine's feel. It's saying that you and I are joined in some way. You are my love. And the L word actually gets used. It closes the poem. It's still there, that love, growing like a lonely little foxglove on a filthy, frozen railway embankment. But it is still there, and we can see it this mid-February day. I love, love that poem. But as I say, it would um, not work on a Valentine's card. Try it, by all means, but don't blame me. So, there you have it. I love Joy, the poetry collection from 2017 by Sasha Dogdale. I haven't read any of her other works. Well, I've read the odd one on the internet, but I, I'm, I'm going off to read more because I think she's absolutely tremendous. In fact, she's a source of joy. There, I've said it. Thanks for listening to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. There'll be less poetry in that, but more jokes. See you next week.